Hi, my name is David Elstein, and this is the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast. Each episode is designed to help busy orthopedic surgeons learn more about the ABUS and board certification. This episode is slightly different. It is an audio recording of the webinar on the ABUS Maintenance of Certification Program. You will hear from Dr. David Martin, ABUS Executive Director. More information about the ABUS MOC program can be found at www.abus.org. If you enjoyed this episode of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery podcast, please subscribe to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts so you know the next episode is posted. My name is David Martin. I'm the Executive Director at the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery. I'm joined tonight by Michael Bednar, our Associate Executive Director, by Denise Frazier, uh, Manager of Certification, and David Elstein, the Manager of Communications. And we'll be talking tonight about maintenance of certification and what you need to know to participate in maintenance of certification as part of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery board certification process. I'd first like to cover the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery mission statement. Our mission is to, is to ensure safe, ethical, and effective practice of orthopedic surgery. We do that by maintaining the highest standards for education, for practice, and for conduct. And the way we do that is through examination, certification, and maintenance of certification programs. And we do that for the benefit of the public and for our patients. I'd also like to cover one of our very important guiding principles, and that's listed here. We believe there's no place for bias or discrimination within the field of orthopedic surgery or within our organization. And we have gone to a great lengths to try and ensure that that's the case. We have uh, recently instituted a DEI committee and have gone through our entire organization to look for any areas of bias or discrimination in either our board, our staff, or our programs and processes. This is the board of directors of the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery. And I show you uh, this picture for several reasons. Number one, to let you know that this is a group of practicing orthopedic surgeons. Our board is made up of 20 practicing orthopedic surgeons. We do have one public member, but all of these orthopedic surgeons dedicate four to six weeks of time away from practice and away from family to get our programs and processes right. And they are dedicated to doing that. And they are practicing orthopedic surgeons, uh, just like you and I. These are the initial dates of certification for each board member and the dates of recertification. And you'll see that several of our board members hold subspecialty certification in either surgery of the hand or sports medicine. So just by way of overview, what we'll go through tonight, we'll talk about the requirements of maintenance of certification. We'll talk about the nuts and bolts of the professional standing update. That is the, the new uh, uh, name that we have for our application. Uh, we'll talk about completing a knowledge assessment as part of MOC, and then we'll answer any questions that you have. And to have a question answered, if you'll raise your hand in Zoom, we'll unmute you. We can then answer your question. If you'll lower your hand at that point, uh, that would help us. And if we do happen to answer your question along the way, uh, go ahead and lower your hand. So this is the general overview of maintenance of certification. And we're often told, you know, it's complicated, it's onerous, it's hard to understand. And this is really the whole program in one slide. We'll talk about a couple new changes on the next slide, but this is the whole program. It's divided into four parts. Your professional standing, 
which is an unrestricted license and hospital privileges, continuing medical education, we expect you to achieve 240 CME uh, total over 10 years, of which 40 should be self-assessment examination credits. You need to complete one knowledge assessment, and we have multiple options. They're listed here, an oral recertification examination, a practice profile computer-based examination, or participation in our web-based longitudinal assessment, which we'll talk more about later in the webinar. In addition, there's a practice improvement part, and that's a peer review process and submitting a case list, and that's done once every 10 years. That's the 10-year cycle. That's the whole maintenance of certification process. And I would submit to you that if you ask to look at an orthopedic surgeon, you would want to know that they had hospital privileges and an unrestricted license. You would want to know that they were keeping up with their education, that they had done some knowledge assessment in the 10-year cycle, and you'd want to ask their peers how they were doing and look at a case list. So we feel that's a pretty good look at an orthopedic surgeon. So here's a little more detail. And in red, we have a couple of changes. So on the continuing medical education front, we've collaborated with the ACCME so that our diplomates will no longer have to upload certificates for CME. Your CME credit should go directly from the CME provider and come to your dashboard at the ABOS. For certificates expiring between 2024 and 2030, you need to earn those 240 credits, of which 40 have to be self-assessment, by December 31st of year 10, whichever your year 10 is in that six-year period. If your certificate expires in 2031 or later, and that's the case that I'm in, then you will need to earn half of your CME in years one to five and half of your CME in years six through 10. And that's a hard stop. So if you've not completed half of your CME by year five, your board certification will expire. The same as it will do at year 10. We will keep you up to date. This is a time, and I'll do this multiple times through the webinar. Please keep your email up to date with the board. We communicate by email. And when we send an email to you, it's meant specifically to you. So as you roll down to year five, if you expire in 2031 or later, as you get closer to year five, you're going to get more reminders that you have not completed half of your CME, the same as, as you uh, get towards year 10. Um, and finally, for practice improvement, we've changed the application to be, call it a professional standing update. And that's submitted with a case list. And that's going to be done just in year seven, eight, and nine. And so we've separated that from the knowledge assessment. You can select the knowledge assessment throughout the 10-year period, and that is separate from the professional standing update. So talking about the CME, again, the requirement is 240 continuing medical education requirements. That's AMA category one by the end of year 10. 40 of those must be scored and recorded self-assessment examination. We accept only orthopedic-related CME, CME that relate to the practice of orthopedic surgery, that your patients would say, wow, that doctor's keeping up with their education that will help, help me and my care. And we have acceptable and unacceptable activities listed on our website. Uh, participating CME providers will now automatically transfer credits to the ABOS. The Academy is participating, Anne is participating, the AOFAS, the Hand Society, many hospitals, and we're 
onboarding other societies and hospitals uh, soon and as they come along. So the goal is for all of that to happen electronically so that there's no uploading of documents. You can still upload a certificate on, to your dashboard on our website, but we're trying to get away from that so that that automatically happens. If you have an online learning portfolio with the Academy, that will automatically transfer as well. Please understand, we're not a repository for credits, so you want to save your transcripts if you need those for something else. Once you hit that 240 and 40 in our system, or if you expire after 2031, it'll be 120 and 20, and then 120 and 20. Once you hit that, our system will stop counting that. So if you want to keep a record of that, you need to save your transcripts. From the standpoint of caseless submission, you submit all primary surgical cases. That's where you're the primary surgeon on the operative note performed January 1 to September 30th. If you're doing that this year, it'll be 2024 up to a maximum of 75 cases. So you start January 1, whenever you hit 75 cases, you can stop. If you don't hit 75 cases and you get to September 30th, that's okay, you can stop then. We'll get to the minimum in just a second. Those cases need to be in the same year that you submit that professional standing update. So it's 35 to 75 cases. And if you get to 35, by the time we reach September 30th, then you're in that 35 to 75 category and you can choose any knowledge assessment, an oral exam, a computer-based exam, the longitudinal assessment. If you have fewer than 35 surgical cases going from January 1 to September 30th, you need to call the office and talk to your certification specialist. What we will have you do is add consecutive cases counting backwards for three months until you reach 35. That would be a full one-year period. If you don't reach 35 in that one-year period, you're classified as low volume. That's not a problem, but your case list will be reviewed by our credentials committee. Most of the time, that's someone who's slowing down their practice. If the case list looks okay, they'll that person will also be able to choose their knowledge assessment. But that's a decision that will be made by our credentials committee after a closer review of the case list. If you no longer perform surgeries, then you want to contact your certification specialist, and we have another pathway for individuals who are either not operating or not uh, practicing, not seeing patients at all. So why do we require a case list? We feel that's an excellent way to evaluate a diplomate's practice. Again, if I asked you about an orthopedic surgeon and said, will you please evaluate that surgeon? You would wanna see what cases they were doing. It's also a good opportunity for a self-evaluation of your performance and practice. You will find, as I did, that as you input that case list, that will jog your memory with patients and you will see actually how those patients did. Most of us remember how our patients do, I understand that, but it's really a good time for self-evaluation. In addition, once those case lists are submitted, we give you a case list feedback report that looks at the CPT codes that you've done, compares you to your peers as far as complications, as far as how many cases were done. And that's also uh, a provider of good benchmarks that can um, point you towards educational processes. In addition, if you choose to uh, uh, partake of the oral examination as, now, as the knowledge assessment, the case list is the basis for cases that are chosen at the time of that exam. In addition, if the credentials committee reviews your professional standing update, your peer review, and your case list, 
at times they require an oral examination and those cases also come from the case list. The professional standing update or application. Uh, it's not much different than an application uh, that uh, you would see for other things that you apply to. It will be available by the end of March uh, on your Diplomate dashboard. You can complete it if you're in year seven, eight, or nine of your 10-year cycle. You must complete it in year nine of your 10-year cycle, or at the end of 10 years, you'll expire. If you pay attention to the emails that we send, you'll get multiple emails reminding you of that. The application requests general information, a couple of things you might want to have in hand before you start the application. It will ask for your practice location since your last recertification, the hospitals and surgery centers where you held surgical privileges or have held surgical privileges, again, since that last certification, and will need a current letter indicating your initial appointment date and the type of your appointment. We don't want the original appointment letter or a reappointment letter. We want a current letter stating the original appointment date and the type of uh, uh, privileges that you have. In addition, we'll ask about any state medical license and license numbers that you've held since your last certification or recertification. Finally, we'll want for each hospital and surgery center the names and email addresses of the chief of staff, the chief of orthopedics, and the chief of surgery, as well as any current or former practice partners. The peer review process. And again, why do we do peer review? We do peer review because we feel like that uh, is a good 360 evaluation of our diplomates. It's important to credentialing applicants and diplomates. It's an electronically accessed survey that is sent out by email. There are questions there about patient care, about surgical skills, about professionalism. We use sources from the professional standing update, those ones that I just mentioned. We also use a zip code list of diplomates and take concentric circles around a diplomate's practice to supplement the peer review that we obtain. Let's talk about the knowledge assessment and how you register for that. So you would register for any one of the three knowledge assessments through your ABOS dashboard. The computer examination, you register between March and October. You do not need to submit the professional standing update or the case list to register for the computer examination. And remember, those are given uh, between August and the first week of October. The oral examination, you do start to register for in January, and you must have submitted a professional standing update and a case list in the year before. So if you are submitting a case list in this year, January through September, that would be, and the professional standing update by the end of this year, that would be to take the oral exam uh, next uh, July. The longitudinal assessment, again, that starts you would register for that when you answer the first question. Again, you can start the longitudinal assessment uh, at any time uh, in the first four years of your cycle, and um, that would um, not require a professional standing update and a case list, and that starts when you answer the first question, again, in the May-June uh, uh, question-answering period. What are the fees uh, for the various parts of this? The professional standing update uh, fee is $1,075 if it's submitted by 4 p.m. Uh, on December 1, uh, 2024. 
Uh, the professional standing update and the case list are submitted together um, by 4 p.m. December 1. There's a late deadline of December 15th. That's an additional $500. The CME and SAE are separate from that professional standing update. Um, the assessment fees, that's for whichever knowledge assessment you choose, they're submitted before you sit for an examination, either computer or oral. They vary depending on the type of assessment, $1,040 for the computer-based assessment, up to $750 for a combined oral examination if you have subspecialty certification. And then if you're doing the uh, ABOSWLA uh, web-based longitudinal assessment, that's uh, done yearly, and that's uh, either $260 or $300, depending if you hold a subspecialty certificate. Keep in mind, you can move back and forth between the knowledge assessments. I would recommend calling the office uh, to do that. And I would say that uh, in addition, there is a maximum fee. It's not, if you change from one assessment to another, there's a maximum fee for 10 years uh, that will incur uh, right around 25, $25.75 if you hold subspecialty certification and $23.75, uh, I believe. Is that right, Denise? Uh, 2375 if you do not hold subspecialty certification. Um, so if you do hold subspecialty certification, again, in surgery of the hand or orthopedic sports medicine, you complete the same professional standing updating case list. You can recertify both the general certificate and the subspecialty certificate through the three knowledge assessment options. It will be a computer-based recertification examination. That would be a combined examination. Again, if you hold surgery of the hand, subspecialty certification, take a hand exam. If you hold sports medicine, subspecialty certification, take a sports exam. You could also take a combined oral exam or with the web-based longitudinal assessment, you choose 15 knowledge sources per year, but five of those would need to be uh, each year in your subspecialty. If you have hand in sports, you choose five hand, five sports, and, the five, and then there are five wild cards there. If you don't have subspecialty certification and you would like to consider that, you should contact your certification specialist. You could earn that with your recertification examination process. Uh, the practice profiled examination. So these are computer-based recertification examinations. If you choose that for your knowledge assessment option, again, one knowledge assessment every 10 years, uh, they're in the 10 subspecialties of orthopedic surgery, including general orthopedics and then each subspecialty. Those examinations, only questions in that subspecialty area. There are no general orthopedic surgery questions other than on the general orthopedic examination. Uh, you can take that exam examination prior to submitting the professional standing update. And this is important. You, we want you to have three opportunities to take a computer-based recertification examination. And those are given in years five through 10. So in five through 10 of your, your certification cycle, you can take a computer-based certification examination. They are now available in alternating years. So they're either available depending on the subspecialty, and I'll show you those in a second, in 579 or in 6810 uh, years of your 10-year uh, cycle. And so this is that schedule, and you want to pay close attention to this. In the even-numbered years, uh, 24, 26, 28, 30, you can see group two at the bottom, and that's adult recon, oncology, sports medicine, surgery of the spine. 
In the odd numbered years, 25, 27, 29, you can see foot and ankle, trauma, pediatrics, shoulder and elbow, surgery of the hand. The general orthopedic exam is offered every year. So if you want to take a general orthopedic uh, computer-based exam, you can do that every year. If you're interested in a subspecialty uh, practice profile examination, you want to make sure you pay attention to the years that those are available. The process for that is that you would register for that examination on your dashboard sometime between March and October. Remember, the examinations are given between August and October. You would submit the examination fee and schedule the examination. You would take the examination at a Pearson View Testing Center, again, between August and October. And then in December, you would receive an email that we posted the results to your dashboard. Many people say, well, if I take it in August, why does it take until December? What we have to do is allow everyone to take the examination because that's a, a particular examination form. We put all those numbers together and that's how we set a passing standard. We look at a standard for that examination and that requires everyone to take the exam so we can look at item performance. We throw out certain items that don't perform well. And so it's a, that takes until December. Um, at some point before year nine, before December 1 of year nine, you would submit your professional standing update in your case list and the fee. You may have done that already, but if you haven't, you need to do that by December 1 of year nine. And then we would obtain peer review. We would review your case list. By year 10, you would submit your CME and SAE, and that would complete the process if you're taking a computer-based examination. Just to talk about preparation for the computer-based examinations, I think it's important for you to know there are blueprints for each of these examinations on our websites, www.abs.org under Diplomates, and that will give you an idea of the percentages of each subject area that's on each of those examinations. This is just two pages from the general exam. They're each about uh, anywhere between seven and 12 pages. There's also information there about the block timing of the examination. And there's a tutorial that will show you exactly how the examination will look on the examination interface when you get to the Pearson View Center. So I'd really encourage you to do that all before you get there. The blueprint can help you prepare for the examination. Let's talk about the oral examination. So for the oral examination, you would need to submit the professional standing update, the professional standing update fee, CME, SAE, and the case list by December 1 of year 9. That would put you in position to take the oral exam in year 10. You could do that in year 7, take the oral exam in year 8, do that in year 8, take the oral exam in year 9, uh, and so forth. You, If you did it in year 7 to take it in 8, you'd have three chances. We would obtain peer review and review the case list. Once that was approved by the credentials committee, they would meet and look at the professional standing and, and case list. And you would receive an email saying you've been approved to sit for the examination. And then in April, in that same month, you would get a list of the 12 cases that you'd be responsible for presenting in that oral examination. You would pay the assessment fee, upload the images and documents for those 12 cases, and take the examination in July. By September, usually the first week of September, we would post those results to your dashboard and we would send you an email when those results were posted. For oral examination preparation, 
There are multiple videos on our website at www.abos.org. This is a, a, a picture from one of those videos that shows you how the examination is carried out. There's a scoring rubric. The examination is scored based on the scoring rubric. That's also available. There's a, an image just like this one. You click on that and there's a PDF file you can download. That's how the examination is scored. And I, I would just encourage you to practice. It's presenting your cases to two examiners. They ask questions about the cases and score the examination based on the scoring rubric. So the final uh, uh, knowledge assessment is the ABOS web-based longitudinal assessment, an overview of that program. For this year, on January 11th, 2024, we posted 223 knowledge sources, journal articles for the most part, to your ABOS WA WLA portal at www.abos.org. You can get to that through your Diplomate dashboard. There are 111 new knowledge sources plus 112 knowledge sources that have been carried over from the last two years. If you would like to participate in the web-based longitudinal assessment, you select 15 of those knowledge sources for in-depth study. Uh, you can click on them. You can download a PDF. I would take this opportunity to uh, thank our journal partners. They make those PDFs available to you uh, between January 11th and the end of the um, question period, which is uh, in early June. So you select 15 of those, look at the journal articles, practice guidelines, utilization criteria, study those between now and April. I'm sorry, I said June, it's actually May. April 4th, the question period opens at 9 a.m. Uh, and it, it runs until May 23rd. So from April 4th until May 23rd, the window opens for you to answer 30 multiple choice questions two from each of the 15 knowledge sources that you've chosen. When you sign on to that, there's there's some sample questions there. I'll show you how it works. Basically, when you say, I'm ready to answer questions, it'll give you the knowledge source. It'll say, you're about to see two knowledge sources from this question, From the, you're about to see two questions from this knowledge source. You click, the first question comes up. You have three minutes to answer that question. It'll say, are you ready for the next question from that knowledge source? You'll say, yes. The question will come up. You have three minutes to answer. You can answer as many questions at each sitting as, as desired. You want to have a good computer hookup when you start answering the questions. You can answer two questions. You can answer all 30. You can come back as many times as you want. It's an open book format. You can do it at a time and location that's convenient for you. So the eligibility for that, you need to review the specific requirements for your expiration year at www.abos.org. But to summarize this, if your expiration date is 2029 or earlier, you have to have already started. You have to have done at least one year of it. If you have um, an expiration date of 2029 and you recertified last year through the ABOS WLA pathway, you have to start this year for your next cycle. If you have an expiration date of 2030, you have to start this year if you haven't already started. If your expiration date is 2031 to 2033, we would strongly recommend that you start. Again, you have to get five quality years before year eight of your cycle. If you're 2034, you can start in 2025. If you're 2035, you can start in 2026. 
what I would say is go to your uh, dashboard uh, on the website uh, or on the website, look for your certification year or feel free to call your certification specialist. It can run you through that for your specific year. Um, if you hold a subspecialty certificate, as I said, you have to choose five knowledge sources in that subspecialty each year. If you're non-operative or non-practicing, you may participate in the ABS WLA program. There's no requirement to participate in the WLA pathway. You can still do a computer-based or an oral recertification examination. So the successful completion metrics, you have to have five quality years before the end of your eighth year of your cycle. A quality year is answering 24 out of the 30 questions correctly. In 2023, 99% of participants earned a quality year or answered 24 or more out of 30 questions correctly. So important dates. Again, January 11, 2024, the knowledge sources are posted. You can begin review of the 15 that you select for further study. You can look at all of them before you select. By April 4th, finalize your 15 chosen knowledge sources pay the assessment fee, and you can begin answering questions at 9 a.m. Eastern time. On May 23rd at 6 p.m. Eastern time, the assessment window will close. You have to have answered all 30 questions by that deadline. Any questions that are not answered by that deadline are scored incorrect. I would tell you that the system starts to run a little more slowly by 6 p.m. You just don't want to start at 5.30 on that last day, okay? It's it's 30 questions, three minutes per question, so it's an hour and a half. I would recommend starting well before 4.30 p.m. on that last day. The system slows down, you have trouble signing in, your computer signs off. If you start in April, you have plenty of time. Uh, these are our certification specialists. You're assigned a certification specialist, which you stick with throughout your career. They're assigned. Uh, in the most scientific way of the first letter of your last name. So A and B, Denise Frazier is with us tonight. We'll take care of you. C through G is Sonia Parker. H through O is Kim Grover. P through Z is Morgan Graham. You may email them. Their emails are here. You can call. Uh, we answer the phone with a person. If your certification specialist is not available, you can uh, get to one of the certification specialists and get your questions answered. Uh, we encourage you to get any question answered well prior to the deadline. And uh, my email is dmartin at abs.org. Feel free to email me. Mike Bednar's is mbednar at abs.org. Feel free to email us or call us. We're happy to answer questions. We communicate by email. Don't be like the Tyrannosaurus Rex and miss the deadlines. We have hard deadlines. We have 30,000 diplomates, so we have to keep to hard deadlines, and we send emails. When you get an email from the ABOS, it is meant specifically for you. We spend a lot of time going through emails. We don't send out a blanket email that says, the deadline's coming up. If it doesn't apply to you, you won't get an email about it. But if you get an email from the ABOS, please read it, and please keep your email up to date on your dashboard. A couple other points that you might want to look at. We have a new website, abosroadmap.org, abosroadmap.org. That will take you through the three stages of your orthopedic surgery career, residency, initial board certification, and maintenance of certification. This is the front page of that website. 
And if you click on any one of these three gray boxes, it will take you to a lot of information to help you follow through and make sure you don't miss any of the deadlines and stay board certified. Uh, our website has a host of information. If patients ask you, what is board certification all about? Or if you want your patients to understand what you go through to become board certified, I would encourage you to send them to mycertifiedorthopedicsurgeon.org. That has uh, patient interviews. Uh, it has a number of uh, different uh, uh, videos that show them what you go through to become board certified. We are active on all of these areas of social media. Uh, please join us there. There's a lot of good information that we share through those uh, areas. In addition, uh, we have a podcast. It's uh, available at anchor.fm forward slash ABOS or wherever you get your podcast. David Elstein hosts that podcast. I would encourage you to look at it. He has uh, a number of interviews on there with orthopedic giants that are extremely interesting. Uh, he also has a podcast with people who have successfully prepared for and completed our examinations podcast with the people who help us prepare our examinations. So I would encourage you to, uh, to look at that and take advantage uh, of that opportunity. Finally, I would thank you. My contact information is listed here. Uh, we're happy to answer any questions. Again, uh, if you have a question, raise your hand in Zoom and we'll call on you. And this webinar, if, if you've missed part of it or know somebody's missed it, we'll post this on our website uh, tomorrow. Uh, we'll also post it on YouTube and on our podcast, there'll be an audio only version. So I'm going to stop sharing my screen and we'll answer any questions that you may have. And before we get to the questions, there's actually an error on one of the slides is a little confusing for the oral exam. Like all the exams, you do not have to finish your CME until the end of year 10. The slide said when you submit your application and case list, that was old information. So just to know the oral exam is just like the others in terms of CMEs. So we'll start with Dr. Blitzer. Hi, uh, thanks for the good descriptions. Um, can you describe a little bit more about the case reporting and you know what it entails, how we go about it? Uh, sure, You're, you mean submitting a case list? Yes, correct. Yes, uh, so that's again available through your dashboard. And there's a box there uh, that says submitting a case list. If you click there, that will take you to um, uh, the screen that allows you, we call that program, it's called Scribe, but it asks for uh, minimal information about the case, uh, patient initials, date of surgery, ICD-9 codes uh, or 10 uh, CPT codes, a brief description of the procedure, the institution where the procedure was done, and you can enter those on an ongoing basis uh, as you go through. You can enter them all at once. That's a little bit harder, um, but you can enter those on an ongoing basis. And uh, just by signing in there, if you have any problems with that, um, uh, don't hesitate to call. And I don't know, Denise, you may have something to add to that. I got it. Wow. Okay, there you go. It's not. It's it's fairly intuitive once you get to your dashboard and click on submit case list. That will uh, sort of walk you through it but we'll be happy to do that as well. Okay, we go with uh, Dr. Glover. Yes, uh, 
Uh, somehow you got muted. So try that again, Doctor Glover. Can, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Excellent presentation. Uh, my question has to do with the written examination. Uh, I recall from previous certifications, recertifications that after you applied in December, then you took the examination the next year. But what I'm hearing is that I'm already, I'm already submitting, I'm already collecting my cases, but it, it sounds like I can go ahead and apply for the examination after March to take it in the fall and then still submit my case list and, and, uh, uh, professional standing update in December. So then since this is 2024 and I'm a spine surgeon, I can do the spine based exam. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yes, that's correct. Yes. So you, yeah, and there's not really an application you register for the examination and then, right. You would submit your application or professional standing update and case list, uh, then, uh, later in the year. That's correct. All right. Thank you very much. No problem. Let's go with Dr. Pfeiffer. Hi. Uh, thank you again. Great presentation. Um, I hate to say I am in an academic institution and I am still not, um, for some reason, I haven't been as up to date. So I'm in year nine. So being in year nine, am I um, eligible for both either the oral or the um, the examination? Uh, you would be eligible to take a computer examination uh, uh, in year, if this is year nine that you're in now in year nine or in year 10 next year, uh, you would... Um, need to submit your professional standing updating case list by the end of this year, by December 1 of year nine. And then uh, you could take an oral examination in year 10. So uh, so I'm already starting to do my case list. Uh, my apologies. So I can either, after submitting the case list, I can either do a oral examination or a case, or right now, since I am far, too far behind, I will have to do the oral. No, you can do a computer exam this year in 24 or next year in 25. Excellent. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's go with Dr. Lynn. Hi, good evening. Uh, thanks so much for the presentation. Um, uh, just a point of clarification. So if I've completed the WLA and I've done all five years and I have my five quality years, uh, then I submit the professional uh, standing update and then the case list, uh, that's pretty much it, right? There's no examination of the case list. It's just a sort of peer review of the case list and then uh, uh, yes. So, uh, you would submit the professional standing update. We would obtain peer review based on that, based on the zip code and the case list that's reviewed, uh, uh, and then, and reviewed by our credentials committee, but you would not, if that all went fine, you would not need to, uh, present any of those cases. That's correct. I think that okay. was your question. Yes. Right? Yes. I just, I, I yeah. just was confused if there's another later step where I might be examined on, on the, uh, on the case list. 
so the that that could occur if the review of your professional standing update, the case list, and the peer review indicated issues that the credentials committee felt should be evaluated further. Uh, there is that they do have the option to say they would like you to take an oral examination. That is oh, I see. rare. Okay. It is yeah. rare. Okay. Okay. I understand. It, yes, you have to, have to be okay. Yes. I understand. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Lenters. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. So I've got a quick question about uh, the CME credits. So if we have just a little gap in our CME credit and um, we just need to, you know, maybe get 20 or 30 credits, but we've already obtained the minimum 40 from the self-assessment exams. Can we just plow through some more of those self-assessment exams and exceed that 40, um, sort of that limit of 40 and, and use those tests to make up that gap? Yes, yes, self-assessment examinations. Uh, those are self-assessment examination credits, but they're also CME. So that counts towards the CME. Ah, great, I wasn't sure if there's a limit on those or not, but that helps, thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. Dr. Bradley. Hey, you can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Hey, uh, thanks. Nice presentation. Uh, real quick. So I'm on the website, was following this along. I'm, I guess I'm in year nine. I'm, uh, this ends for me in 25. So I've done the, uh, that completed the WLA. So I was looking on my dashboard and at the very bottom, evidence of performance and practice, it says in progress. So there's an application and I say to learn more. I understand the case list and start on that. So I go to application on the website, professional standing update instructions. And it says rules, it gives the cost, it's very informative, but there's nowhere on here that it gives anything to apply other than to go to the case list. What do we what do we actually do? And then there's one point, one point that it says you must contact the ABOS before starting your case list or the professional standing update. So where do we go to pay the thousand, uh, whatever it is before December 1st and actually do that update? I don't see a link. Uh yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, um, the goal is by the end of March and hopefully before then, that when you uh, scroll down on your dashboard, it will also also have a uh, link there that you can click on, just like the case list that will say professional standing update. And then once the professional standing update is complete, the you have your case list complete, then you submit those together with the fee. And okay. the deadline for that's December 1. So Thank that's you. you're correct. That's not that the link is not there yet, um, but it will be. Okay. Thanks a bunch. No problem. Anyone else have any questions? I don't see any hands raised. Uh, Doctor Miller. How um, 
in the case description, when you're submitting your case list, um, how much follow-up do you need? And in the case description, is there some of somewhat of an example of what to put in that part? Uh, there, there is on, on the website, there's a, uh, uh, is an explanation, uh, for the, the case description, it's, um, brief, uh, right total hip arthroplasty, um, uh, left total knee revision, uh, um, open reduction internal fixation of mid shaft femur fracture, just a short description, how, uh, you know, you would describe a case, you know, what case did you just do? that, you know, four to whatever, two to six word sentence that you would say to one of your partners as to what case you would do. And then the follow-up is what follow-up you have. Uh, and so, you know, depending on how quickly you get to 75 cases uh, and how quickly you submit the case list, that would be the follow-up that's included. Okay, thank you. Oh, that's clear, thanks. Let's go with uh, Dr. Cowan. Hi, I'm sorry I missed most of this. Um, I have a, a question about, so uh, can I start my case list um, kind of retrospectively in January and run it through until I have 75 cases? Yes, you start with your first case in, uh, starting January 1, your first surgical case, and you can start to enter those. Yes, you could start to enter those now. As I said, you can start to enter them in November. We don't recommend that, uh, um, We but we want your first 75 cases or nine months worth of cases uh, from 2024. If you're gonna, then you submit the professional standing update, the case list all together by December 1. Got it. Yes. Let's go with uh, Dr. Abdukawad. Sorry if I mispronounced your name. Uh, thank you for the presentation. I have a question for the case list. If I don't find the case in the cases excluded, uh, do I put it? Because like I did a skin graft and I didn't find skin graft as cases to be excluded. And I also like did a septic arthritis debridement and I didn't find these excluded. So are, do I put them or I exclude them because they are not the cases? Uh, no, if the if the CPT code is not listed on the do not include list, then you would include that as one of the 75. Thank you. That's correct. No problem. Thanks. That's a good question. Yeah. Any other questions? I don't see any more, Dr. Martin. Great. Well, thank you very much again. Uh, we appreciate your attention and uh, please don't hesitate to call us if you have any questions and uh, we'll sign off for the night. Uh, good night and thank you.